This morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, and uh, <clears throat> no restraint for God, no retreat from thee in 2023. We're going to read the first 15 verses of 1 Samuel. I want us to look at the context of what's going on, and uh, this is an amazing passage, and I trust you'd be encouraged this morning uh, as we look at this idea that nothing is impossible with God. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. If you want to follow along with me as we read, 1 Samuel 14, 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come. And let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. So what is the scenario we find? We have Israel, all of these armored soldiers, with God on their side, in, cowering in fear to the Philistine people. How awful. Verse 2. And Saul tarried in the uppermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. Remember this, 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison... There was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, this is our theme verse for the year and theme for this morning, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. He says they don't know God. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He said, what in the world are we doing here? We have a God on our side. Why are we being restrained? Verse 7, And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Two men of six hundred. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up for the Lord, and deliver them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves into the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold! The Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up unto us. Remember, God's on their side now. They understand this. And we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Hallelujah. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew, slew after, and his armor bearer slew after him, and that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men, within as it were in half acre land which a yoke of oxen might plow. 
And there was trembling in the hosts in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled, and the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. 600 men cowering in fear to 20 men that are just before them. What in the world is going on here? What is the biggest hurdle many times of moving forward in our spiritual life? It is fear. There is a fear that if I move forward for God, I will move into a place where I am out of control. And we don't like that place. Of moving to where we are not in control. There is a concern for the well-being of my family. What if I make this commitment and I can't follow through? The truth in all of these and many more questions that is raised is not a matter of control. It's a matter of faith. Do you know that God is speaking to you? Could you do something else and have God's blessings upon you? Is your response to not progressing, not moving forward, not doing more for the Lord because of fear and worry or is it because or is it out of faith and commitment you understand that's where god wants you now we understand in romans chapter 14 verse 5 one man esteemeth one day above another and another man esteemeth every day alike let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind you have to know it's god but saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 men as there's just a small Contingent of warriors, only 20. Cowering in fear to a dead God and a dead idol. Idleness in the Lord's service is not an option for the Christian. It is not an option. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This year, the mission, the vision for this church, don't retreat. Do all we can to bring God glory. You know what? God is not restrained by any hurdle of man. God is not restrained by the technology of a nation. Jesus, look with me in Matthew 13. We'll come back to that main passage of Scripture, but Matthew 13, this is my introduction. We so often retreat and hide out from moving forward spiritually for God because we don't understand and put into our mind who God is. Matthew 13, 57 and 58. I want you to look, we'll go up a little bit further. Verse 54 of Matthew 13. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? How in the world did that guy get to be so smart? Now, this is Jesus. We understand this. And they're thinking, how in the world does a construction worker's son get to be so brilliant? From their perspective. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Jesus had brothers and sisters, friends. 
He's not a, Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as the Catholic Church says. He had siblings and his sisters. If you have brothers and sisters, your mom, <laughs> she had more children than one. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Look at verse 58. This is the key. And he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. What a sad story. Jesus would have done a lot more around his hometown. But because of unbelief, he did not work. Israel's entrance into the promised land was delayed because of unbelief. We will see God do above and beyond all we could ask or think. A church is not just the pastor. This is going to be involve every one of us going all in this year. No reservations in our labors for God as God leads us. We understand that there's not much time before Jesus comes. The enemies, of John, as Jonathan asserted, he said, they're nothing for my God. If God's leading and he's the commander, we'll go forward. Two against 20. Think about that. We must see that God is not constrained, he is not restrained, except in the case of unbelief. Will you be believing this year or unbelieving? Will you be found to be back with the, with the crowd of critics, much like Saul and the men that were in the back? Or will you lead in faith as you're led by God? There must be no retreat to the mission led by God. This is an exciting passage of Scripture. As you think about who is God. We can philosophize all day long about it. But if we don't take the theology of God and put it rubber meets the road, it just stays up here and never is applied here in our hearts. I want to go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this, but my friend, I'm excited. This has been on my heart a few weeks, and obviously last week I was in a position. I was totally out of control. I had no control to get out where I was at. It was totally in God's hands. God was teaching me some things. My friend, no restraint for God, no retreat from you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for this message, Lord. I am so excited to preach it. Uh, the blessing, the message you've given, Father, I pray. Lord, you'd remove any of my own thoughts. And God, that you would be glorified. Father, that is the sole purpose. That God, you would be lifted up. Father, do abundantly above all we could ask or think. I love you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching that is not certain of their salvation this morning, that they would put their complete, whole faith in Jesus Christ. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time. Pray that you'd be pleased, and Lord, I ask for the Spirit of God to encourage hearts, to embolden us, that Lord, the only thing that's stopping us from moving forward is our faith in you. May we live in belief 
not unbelief. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We think about the first point I've got today, this morning, is the God of belief. I want you to look with me at Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. God is concerned with his glory. God is concerned that he gets the praises and the thanks and the respect and the reverence from humanity. That's what God wants. He doesn't want it against any man. As I said on Wednesday night, as we were finishing up our series talking about pastors, uh, we often in the scriptures you don't find uh, an elevation of pastors. Now there's an obligation of pastors. There's a prerequisite to being a pastor, but we don't find uh, them praising all of these pastors in in the New Testament. You don't see that. It's not about the pastor. It's about the God who's the head of every local church as God is exalted and we honor Him. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles. This is Israel, Joshua and Caleb. The 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad, 2 were good. They've come back. The 10 spies, they discourage a nation. And now God's executing His judgment. Because all those men which have seen my glory, they saw ten plagues in Egypt, crossing the Red River, Red Sea. They saw the manna in the wilderness. They saw uh, God's power upon Mount Sinai with Moses up there. They saw the quail. They saw the water out of a rock in a desert. Think about this. They've seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. And have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. God's mad. God's mad. God's glory is what Rahab, she said, we knew that the God of the Israelites is the true God. She said, we knew about the ten plagues in Egypt. We knew about the Red Sea crossing. We knew about all the stuff in the wilderness. The news spreads fast, and that was even before the days of social media and internet. And yet, Rahab and even the Gibeonites who deceived Israel into making that covenant, they said, we know what you did to the Egyptians. So God's glory has gone forth. They saw the mighty hand of God working on their, ha- on their behalf. Rahab put her faith in God. The Gibeonites put their faith in their own unlawful covenant. But if God's people will not glory, will not glorify him, then God will allow his glory to go to the enemies of God and their defeat of God's people. I want you to look with me at Psalm seventy-eight, sixty-one. Understand this. If God's people will not give God the glory that he so rightfully deserves, God says, I will let my glory be on the enemies that defeat you. Because you don't put me into the right position that I so rightfully deserve in your life. I am number one. I'm the only one. Psalm 78, 61. And delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. This is when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of God's presence with his people. God says, I'm removing my presence 
from this religious object. I'm no longer with you. You've gone into idolatry. I'm not with you. You've taken my glory and given it to something else, and I won't be a part of it. So I'm going to let my glory be upon your destruction. Eli's sons dealt wickedly and horribly with the Lord. That's the context for this psalm. Israel dealt in idolatry. One of Eli's uh, grandsons was named Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord had departed. You think God's concerned about his glory? Absolutely. He wants all of us to put an unadulterated, unwavering faith in him and him alone. In Isaiah 42.8, I want you to look with me here. This is an amazing, amazing verse. Verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. Now you see it all capitalized in the English language when it's all capitalized. That's in Hebrew, the, the name Jehovah. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. If there's an event or an act you are trying to carry out, and you say this is all about God, but truly that act or whatever event you're trying to do is about yourself, then write it down, God's against you. Because you're trying to steal his glory. Your actions as a believer in Christ must be to a point to point people to the power and the glory and the, the praise and the supremacy and the need for Christ. Religion will focus upon the worshiper's performance. How long I can pray. How long, how many, uh, how, how many rosaries or however many. It's all about all this performance. It's about the worshiper, not the God of the worship. Religion is concerned with what you're doing in the intention for God. God is concerned with my heart with him. God wants my heart. He doesn't want just a whole bunch of religious actions without my heart. Faith directs my focus upon God. Religion makes a focus upon all the good deeds that I'm doing. What are some of the results of unbelief? In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and a hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Jesus Christ, that word upbraided, is he's ashamed of the disciples because they had not believed him after they had seen him after he rose from the dead. They didn't believe at first. I mean, the women come and said, Jesus is alive. Yeah, right. Dead man, alive. Are you kidding me? He said, I'm ashamed of you. Romans chapter 11, verse 20. Well, because of unbelief, they, that's Israel, Israel was God's ambassador to the world to, be, to tell the world, there is one God and you need to put your faith in him. 
Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. He says, listen, Israel lost her, her privilege to point people to God because she, her heart was no longer on God. I'm allowing, the now that Jesus started the institution of the local church, I'm allowing Christians and churches that they would point people to Jesus. That's our responsibility, to point people to Jesus. Christians whose, uh, whose viewpoint on God is off, get back to Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus, get to Jesus. Glory to God alone. Israel lost her privilege. You lose in your life when you try to steal God's glory, as though there's some intrinsic wisdom or uh, ability in yourself understand this any ability you have god gave you israel will be grafted one day back into the tree of god's ambassadorship all jews all gentiles all people from all nations are welcome to come to the lord in romans eleven thirty two, for god hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all there is not one person that god does not want to give mercy to not one from the lowest of the low to the evil of the most evil of the evil to the the best of the best that we would say the best but god said they're still evil he wants to show mercy upon all Faith with the goal of pointing others to God's glory is about accomplishing God's goals for your life and through your life. In Matthew 17, 20, and Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. God says, Because of your unbelief, who is God? Who is He? No, no, I'm not talking about what a little Sunday school, many times a Sunday school answer. Well, He's the Creator. Yeah, okay. But who is He to you? How does He affect your life? How does He affect your thinking? How does He affect your relationships? How does He affect your work ethic? How does He affect you? We evidence unbelief and even mocking or criticism against God and those who seek to move forward for Him. You're just trying to do too much for God. You should lay off the pedal. Step off the gas pedal. Put a little bit of brakes on. You're doing too much for God. God forbid. If God told me, Jonathan said, there's no restraint. I mean, in Genesis chapter 18... The, the, a pre-incarnate appearance of, of, of Christ, a Christophany, if you'll think, say that, but a, a Christophany is a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. That means Jesus appeared on earth prior to coming as a baby with a couple angels. He comes to uh, Abraham and Sarah says, Sarah, in one year you're going to have a baby. She's like, yeah, right, I'm 89 years old, I'm going to have a baby when I'm 90. You think I'm going to have a baby? Are you kidding me? Is anything too hard for the Lord, as it says Genesis 18, in Genesis 18, 14. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, just because we may want something and we may think it's a godly thing to do may not be God's will. But we need to say there is no restraint to the Lord. Disbelief. Of God's ability, it brings God's judgment. 
And Numbers, look with me at Numbers chapter 11, verse 21. This is Moses, after having been through all the plagues of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, I want you to notice with me his unbelief. And you know what? We might look at the, the, the people in the Bible and be like, how could they not have belief? But how do we not have belief? The bills come, the work problems come, the nation's falling apart, the city has issues, all sorts of things come, and we sit there and wallow in disbelief and mocking and criticism and fear and worry rather than getting on our knees and coming to the face of the one who has all power. Numbers chapter 11, verse 21. Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen. This is only the men. So there's probably over 2 million people here. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? He says, listen, if we kill all of our livestock that we have, there's still not enough to feed all of our people for one month. He said, I could have all the fish of the sea. And that's not going to be, is it really? I mean, there is a sea of Israelites. There, as far as you can see, there's Israelites all over the desert floor. How in the world are you going to feed them, God? Look with me what God rebukes him in verse 23. The Lord said unto Moses, as the Lord's hand waxed short, Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the seventy men of the elder, elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And we would understand that God would send the quail in as a cloud and he would feed them. Disbelief of God's ability. Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Can God only do within the box of what I see? What are some of the conclusions of unbelief as we get here in 1 Samuel 14 going back? In 1 Samuel chapter 4, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 4. I want you to understand something. That Saul, when he was anointed to be king of Israel, he was given the task of coming against and destroying the Philistines. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Well, let's look at verse 8. <clears throat> First Samuel 4 Samuel uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? Who's speaking? Look with me at verse 7. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, and quit yourself like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants of the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourself like men and fight. They said, Stop being afraid of the God of the Israelites, let's go in and destroy the Israelites. At this point in time, Israel would be defeated. What happens when you and I live in unbelief? The enemies of God are emboldened to attack us. When I live in unbelief. 
What was the mission for Saul? Look at me at 1 Samuel chapter 9. I mean, think about this. The Philistines said, we're not going in there. They have the ark of God. They didn't realize God's glory had left Israel because of Israel's unbelief and idolatry. When we live in unbelief of God, we let the enemies of God embolden themselves, strengthen themselves, and say, our gods are the real gods, not the God of the Bible. Horrible. We, as Christians, are the light bearers to the true and only God. There is only one God. All else are demons and false beliefs. In 1 Samuel 9, 16, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people, save his people out of what? Out of the hand of the Philistines, For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come unto me. God says, Saul, your responsibility is to destroy and remove the Philistines who are afflicting and hurting my people. That's your responsibility. What do we see in Saul's life, though? Look at me at chapter 17. I mean, God says, Saul, I'm on your side. Saul, I'm all on board. I'm all in with you. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11. This is David and Goliath. So Goliath gives his great taunting. I defy the armies of the living God. And he goes on. Verse 10, look with me. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the, the, those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul was told by God, deliver my people from the enemies of the Philistines. That's your job as a leader. You better do it. <laughs> Unbelief. Saul's lack of faith cost him. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, God gives us a warning. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief will cause you to stray from a close walk with God. It is unbelief at God's promises that have always caused God's people to move from the position of sweet fellowship to idolatrous worship. Unbelief. There's unbelief in salvation. Unbelief for life is absolutely absolutely repulsive to God. Uh, Unbelief. Because you don't believe that God is who he says he is. And you don't trust him to be who he says he is. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17. But with whom was he grieved? Forty years. Was... Uh, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we, say, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Israel could not enter into the promised land. All of those people, 20 years of age and older, the tw- 10 spies who went into Canaan under Moses' leadership, 10, 12 spies went in, but two were good, 10 were bad. Those 10 spies who discouraged a nation could not enter into the promises and the blessings and the peace and the rest of God simply by unbelief. Do you think that unbelief is serious business with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Why do we major on my abilities, your abilities? Why do I major on what I, can, what I can do and what I can't do? I'm too dumb for this. I'm too limited on this. I can't do this. Oh, I can really do this. I'm God's, I'm God's gift for this. Why do we major on our abilities or lack of abilities and our intellect and we minor on the glory and the goodness of God? If God calls you to it, God provides. He is God. Why do we settle for the philosophies and the programs of men, but we spend so little to understand the greatness and the power of our God? He's a living God. He's not dead. He's not an idol that I rub its little belly, and hopefully, by some meritorious grace, I'm able to become a smarter person or whatever the idea is, the thought is. I don't rub the belly of my God. The great deal of professing Christianity, Western Christianity, is consumed and infected with the cancer of unbelief. From the very first humans, Adam and Eve, unbelief has only and always brought increased pain. Every time. Every time. We become a generation of Thomases. Remember Thomas the disciple? John chapter 20, verse 27 then, said he, then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. He says, Thomas, you only believe me because you can see my hands, and you can see my feet. You can see the scars in my hand. I'm risen from the dead. If that's not sight enough, you need to really work on your faith. I'm a risen Savior. I'm a living God. John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus again continues with his rebuke. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. God is not looking for some believers who are quitters. God is not looking for those who will give up. He's looking for the diligently faithful. He's looking for the persistently committed. He's looking for the Bible-hearted, not scornful, softened. Someone says a harsh word to you and you, you melt into dust. That's not a person of belief. I'm telling you, we have a living God and we need to understand and we need to live. Not just a head knowledge here. Wow, that's a great sermon, Pastor. But how does it live for your life when you go to work, when you go home, when you deal with troubles and trials? Is He not God? Where do I go? We become Saul's all day long. We can become consumed with how someone hurt my feelings, said something rude, took too little time. And we take too, I mean, we don't bring God to the world in regards to showing His glory, not because of who I am, not because of how smart any intelligence we have comes from Him. But all of my energy ought to be exerted to prove and show the glory of God. We live in a world of sinful man. Sinful man acts selfishly. He speaks selfishly. And I need to focus on Christ. God is looking for men and women who will not let the errors of man, the sin of man towards you, the reproach of others place us into the position of fear. Saul had a, man, he had a whole bunch of men around him cowering in fear because some big giant says, I defy the God of Israel. Where was the God that got Israel out of Egypt? 
Where's the God, the God of Israel, the promised land? Wake up, Saul. Wake up, believer. Wake up, Christian. Wake up, pastor. You know, where is my belief in God? I don't need to listen to the verbal assaults of the worldly and the carnal man. I must not be softened to the great mission and promises before me. I cannot become a chocolate soldier, a marshmallow warrior, weak and soft to this world. I have a God who's living. Christian, it is God who is still God. When will the lost, our family and friends, see a person fiercely loyal to the Lord and to the institution of the church, the local church, for which Christ died? We need a revitalized view of God, a renewed commitment to no retreat. My final point, I'm going to have to conclude this next week. Think about this. In reality, you have no place of retreat apart from God. Because what happens when you run to yourself in fear? Where do you find relief? Many times it's in vices of life, but that's still not relief. If I run to psychology and I run to philosophy and I run to other religions, where do I find relief? Do I have protection? In Isaiah 43, verses 12 and 13, I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Isaiah chapter 50, verses 1 and 2, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there, no to, there was none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? God, God is saying, listen, Israel, you're in a really bad predicament. Is my hand so short I can't save you? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. He parted the Red Sea. It was dry, no fish, dry ground. Come on now. I make the rivers a wilderness, for their, their fish stinketh, because there is no water and dieth for thirst. Look with me at John six sixty six. This ought to be our mindset. Well, the last passage of Scripture this morning. Who is God? Who is He? John 6, 66. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where do I go? Where do I go when life gets tough? Where do I go in the challenges of life? Where can I go? And Peter says it well. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He, speak, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he that should betray him, being one of the twelve. But Jesus... Peter says, listen, Jesus, I don't want to go away. I have nowhere else to go. 
Western civilization in our world really is on the brink of some very dark days. But it is in the darkest of times the Lord's power and glory can shine the brightest through his ambassadors. Who's his ambassadors? You are if you profess the name of Jesus Christ. Society has long forged the knife into the heart of morality. We are in a wicked, immoral, perverse world. God is looking for believers for whom there is no alternative but God. God alone. There is no alternative. He is looking for faithful children whom he alone gets the glory. Will you be found to be his child? My friend, as we think upon this, no restraint for the Lord, no retreat from me, no retreat from you. This year in 2023, let us keep focus. Anything that comes, may we say, Lord, how do you get the glory from this? Amen. If I could have Miss Pat come forward, we'll have a time of invitation. But I just want to challenge you. Are you living in unbelief? Are you living that God is in control? I'm not talking fatalism. Fatalism is this idea, well, I guess God's going to ordain everything. God gives us free will to choose. I have a choice to believe him or not believe him. I have a choice to be obedient or not obedient. There's, cho- there's consequences both ways. Is he God? If you're saying he's God, he's my Savior, I know Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for my sins, I know he did, then why do we not live in complete belief that he's still the God of today and tomorrow, not just the God of the past, not just the God of the future, that I don't have to go to hell, he's the God of the present still. Let's trust him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, my friend, it's the best time to start. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. May you put your faith in Jesus alone. Christian, we must stop the unbelief. We must live in belief and see God do abundantly above all we could ask or think. As the music plays, as the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I trust that you would just pray and talk with God. If you need to come up front to the altar and Just talk with him up here. I'd encourage you to do that. But friend, he's still God. He's a living God to the exclusion of all else. 